Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. May the 27th, 2018, from Coolidge, Arizona. Good morning, folks. It is there, obviously the very best day of your life to this point, and I hope it's the worst. And what I mean by that is, if it is, then every day from this point on will be even better. Now, I don't know whether all of you have the ages chart or not. You won't need it. I'm just going to make a comment about it. It was sent out. And that's the three, three big circles. And the reason that the third circle to the right is incomplete is because I have another chart that fills in uh, the loose ends on that third big circle. So we will um, deal with that later on down the line. This is, according to my figures, this is lesson number 10. Um, Pam told me this morning she thought it was thir- uh, uh, 12, and I'm not sure where the other two have disappeared to, but that's not unusual in my case. That's important, though, to realize that I, we may have two in there that uh, um, I've missed or we don't have a transcript of. I, I don't understand that. But anyhow, <clears throat> you always have to remember that we always start with the most important thing. And now that that's done, we can all go home. Okay, everybody got up and left. I like that. The um, Last week we discussed in our notes of, of lesson nine, today is lesson number 10, according to my numbers. We looked at, in the introduction of that lesson, Uh, What is the infinite personal God up to? Oh, how important the question is. We keep our little children so busy with activities without teaching them how to be busy about thinking. You know, to get down on the lawn, on the grass, and to dig into the grass and see all the little critters living in there. So that you begin to ponder, you know, what was God up to? And how many little children have had that opportunity? Well, they're so busy doing this and doing that, they haven't got time for anything that's really, you know, long-lasting, that is, when it comes to their thinking. So anyway, uh, we, we have... God creating creating the universe, and then God creating man, and he created man finite. So that he could not see beyond the universe in which he was put. God created a universe so that he could create a man from whom he could hide himself, made man finite, 
so that he could not see beyond the universe where God had placed him. If you understand that, you will never be tempted toward any level of Calvinism because that undermines every aspect of the Calvinist theory or Augustinianism. You don't know that because you haven't thought it through. But if you think it through, that's the issue. And then... When God provides this man who he has created and placed in a finite uh, and has made him finite so that he cannot see God apart from the universe in which he has been placed, God makes a connection with that man which we call his revelation, the revealing of himself to man which is in a book. And we've discussed that. So he sets this book in real life in the affairs of all of mankind for or against God, but in the affairs of mankind, that's the history, God has placed his book. So you will find then a cyclonious history outside that secular history that parallels sacred history, God's history is placed within the realm of secular history. And there is a thread from the very beginning of history to the end, whenever that may be, there is a thread, but it's always entwined in secular history. Always a connection. We call that Cychronius history. How do you spell that? Cychronius? Um, yeah. I think it's S-Y-C-H-R-O-N. That's a close. That's a start. <clears throat> and Kathy would know that for sure. It means, it means history as it moves along. History is moving along, but cyclonious it means they're synchronized. It comes okay, from the okay, word yeah. synchronized. So, two, so, so, so that's just the name for what you just explained. Yeah, that's the name for what... Cyclonious history means it's the history that is synchronized with biblical history. Okay. Or okay. vice versa. Yeah, okay, I, I got it. Got it? Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, well probably, all, probably everybody else was asking the same question. I try to de I try to define all of my terms, but you know what I found is that when I define terms, a lot of times because people have a different idea of what that term means, they don't hear what it is I'm saying, and then they come back and ask me the question. Well, anyway, <clears throat> so far so good. That that's a good point. Um, what it boils down to is that the, the, the Bible, God, God's book, is, is intertwined. They're, they're intermingle, they intermingle. Yeah. The book involves real places, real people, real time, real events. Amen. Perfectly said. So, and that tells us that it was placed in history. So if you try to make the history, the, the Bible, then allegorical, you have lost the foundation of its premise. 
no longer historical. Then you're going to have all, you can go anywhere you want. That's what they call the spiritual approach. It means there are no boundaries, no limitations. You can go away and do anything you want to with it. And, uh, of course, we're very anti that. Just hot air. It's, it's like, um, and by the way, this is not a part of my lesson today, but we have a lot of subtle attacks on the church today that each of the attacks is very legitimate. I want that to sink in. It's like we have an attack on the church, on, on the Bible-based church, of we have the secular world using the word progressive, Of course, last week I, that guy, I had a question because I talked about God's revelation to man is progressive. And I gave you a chart, the patriarchal age, the mosaic age, and the Christian age, the apostolic age within the Christian age. And so I get, a, I get an email, um, you know, they don't like the word progressive. Well, the word progressive, the word progressive belongs to us not to the secular world. So we don't have to defend it. We don't even have to define it. They have to define it. See, God's revelation to man was progressive, and so those who are anti-progressiveness of of the secular community end up being a conspiratorial effect upon the church because they're getting... They're focusing on a word that is improperly defined. We are the ones who believe in a progressive revelation. We do not believe with the common secular world that there is a progression toward globalism. See, they have a whole different meaning to it. But when we approach their progressiveness, we are joining with them in their attack against the progressive dispensations of God. And folks, we have to be careful about being aligned with anything, even though we would agree that progressive secularism is absolutely foreign, the word progressive is not the key. We believe in progressive revelation. It's just like the word Israel. We're very opposed to Israel being a special covenant people today and that they have any special land rights or any other kind of rights. But the word Israel is a name that's also applied to the church because it simply represents the faithful. So when you become anti-Israel, what you're really doing is becoming anti-church, anti-Christian, anti-God's book of Revelation. You have to be careful about becoming identified with any movement that is anti-anything. Well, now that I'm on that roll, which I had not intended to do, it's like the word Zion. All Christians are Zionist. How can that be? Because Zion is a biblical term talking about the origin, the origin of freedom. Zion represented freedom as opposed to Sinai, which represented what? Slavery. Zion is the antonym 
of Sinai. Sinai represented slavery. Zion represented freedom. And it's spoken of in both Romans and in Peter that we are the Zion. We have approached the new Zion. We have approached and come to Mount Zion, the mountain of freedom. So, yes, I'm opposed to all Zionism that is, that is secular or that is pro-Israel in its religious sense or even in its national sense in a way. But what happens is that those who are anti-Israel all end, and I mean all, end up being anti-Christian. Even though we are all equally opposed to Zionism, as it's a secular movement today for globalism, we are very opposed to that, but we have to be careful that we don't become an anti-Zionist person and thus, in doing so, become anti-Christian. All Christians are Zionist in that we believe that our freedom began in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Now, folks, that's not debatable. It is not debatable. And, and, and the time, and, and let me think, of, I've got one more thing coming up, and that's globalism. You know, we're anti-globalists when it comes to the secular community or when we come to the political. But folks, when it comes to the spiritual or the religious side of things, we are global. Yeah. We have to be so careful that when we become anti-globalists, that we don't become anti-Christian at the same time. Because our, we are the only, the only true globalists on the face of the earth are the Christian people because they are the only ones who have their headquarters in heaven, which is the only place it can be and be a pure, global, universal presence. We need to separate our political life and terms from our Christian life and terms. All right. That's just the bottom line. That is the bottom line. We have to be so careful. So in all of these lessons that we're doing now, folks, we can't skip any. As as Neil brought out here a few weeks ago in uh, the talk about the saw blade, if you skip any one of these lessons, you're going to have a wobble in your end result, and that will not produce the kind of a result with God that you want. Now, today, you remember the, the little story that I talk, talked about? Um, the candle, and we have a candle that's six inches. The reason I gave that to you several lessons ago is so that we wouldn't have to rehearse it again. But I'll just bring it to your mind that the reason for the candle being such as this high and it's burning at the rate of one inch per hour, and we ask the question, what was the reason for the question? What what were we attempting to illustrate? Who can tell me? When did the candle start to burn? How long has the candle been burning? But why did we ask that question? So that there are questions that cannot be asked because they have no answer. You cannot answer that question, and for anything to be a legitimate question, it has to have an answer. And secondly, 
you have to you have to know what it is when you hear it. Otherwise, you're not asking a legitimate question. Those two things are required in the field of logic for any question that is asked. It has to have an answer. So you have to evaluate your question. And secondly, you have to recognize the answer when you hear it. Folks, that's tough. That really limits the questions that you can ask. You have to think about it, have to think about it, you have to think about it. Does it have an answer? And secondly, will I recognize the answer if I hear it? Folks, that really puts the condition, and that's from just the word logos, from the field of logic. Now, the reason I gave you that illustration is because I want to read Psalms 115, verse 3. A couple of verses here, and then we'll get into today's lesson. I hope you're having a good time. I hope you're having some fun, as well as taking everything serious. Because these are serious issues. That's why it is so important that every step be understood. Even though it is not exhaustive, it gives you the basis upon how we can think and how, how we can arrive at uh, proper decisions. But we have to be careful when we go into an area where we may not have all the answers. And that's where we're going today in today's lesson. We have to be cautious about saying more than what the scriptures say. We, there are questions that we cannot answer. In Psalms 100, what did I say, 100 and, uh, 115 and verse 3, uh, but our God, is in the cattle and the rats. Oh, 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 we're not talking about Hinduism. Okay, our God is in the heavens. Heavens is plural. I'm assuming it is in the Hebrew. Our God is where? In the heavens. heavens. And he does whatever he pleases. I want you to pause there. We often raise questions about God's actions, but God is never obligated to explain to us his reasons. It is good to know, it is good enough to know that whatever he does, does what in that verse? It pleases him. Because whatever he does is right by definition. Now, what lesson did we have that covered that? When we said that God is both hidden and God is good. See, now that's why we have to learn those lessons in sequence. Our God is in the heavens. He's hidden from the created universe. That's why he created it is so that there would be a place where he could create a finite being in his image, but still could not see him. That's the purpose of our physical universe. And secondly, because God is good, whatever he does is right by definition. He does whatever he pleases. Now let's go to Revelation um, 
But while we're here, yeah, let's go to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Because this deals very directly with what we're going to be talking about today. And I want to give you room to vary your thinking from what it is we're going to be saying. If someone asks why God created the universe, first of all, our first answer is, according to the first we just read, is that it was it's for his pleasure that they are and were created. Now, we're going to fill in the details of that this morning. But notice what it says. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive recognition, glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed, because of your will, and actually in the other version it says, because of your pleasure, they exist and were created. So there was a plan, but all of it began with God. There was a reason for what God did. Because of his will or because of his pleasure, depending on how you translate that, they exist and were created. Everything has a purpose. So the goodness of God talks about that everything God does is done with goodness or with a purpose in mind. Now go to Psalms, back to what Psalms 135 again. <clears throat> Psalms 135 and verse 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all the deep places. You see, he does not have to give an account to us, for we were created at his pleasure. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Is this in heaven? Would that be the sky, as that's often talked, we've talked about in the past? If it is singular, and if there's no article, it could be. And I don't know the answer to that yeah. offhand, and I don't know the Hebrew well enough to that, get That's not where we are, but it was just good point. in the context of the rest of the verse. And in heaven and in earth... Um, because the uh, the word the verbiage there is a little awkward in heaven and in earth, probably speaking about where it is God abides, okay. wherever that is in that's heaven, usually in that sense, and uh, and or whether it's there or on earth in earth in the seas and in all the deeps, um, He does what He pleases. Now, folks, we got to get that straight first yeah. before before I go where I go today and that isn't often discussed but that's that's those are very important principles so we go to first peter chapter one we were here last week and there was a few things that i didn't quite finish up in first peter chapter three by the way sharon has got all of the lessons up through today not today obviously but all the first nine lessons have all been transcribed. 
I'm working on the final one right now, and we'll have that done tomorrow. And then we are fully um, up to date except for today's lesson. Everything has been transcribed, and they are all available in full text just as we do them here. I do edit some of the things because sometimes I don't have a clue as to what I'm saying in the in the transcript. You know, I don't know whether we missed a word or something. I don't know that. So I do, do, I do have to do some editing, uh, but very little. Sharon does a beautiful job, very clear, uh, very clean work. So the, my job is very simple. Now, we remember, because they're transcripts, they're not manuscripts. So we don't attempt to correct um, necessarily the English, or we don't necessarily attempt to um, change anything because these, this is a classroom setting. So we have people responding, and that response is in the text as well. Sometimes it's relevant, sometimes it may not be. But that's okay, that's a part of the class, and we, we like that. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21, 1 Peter 1, now. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21. Okay. Prepare your minds for action. Keep level-headed inwardly, that's in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revealing of Jesus Christ, which is referring to the fall of Jerusalem. And by the way, the, the uh, first Peter is written after the book of Revelation. So he's, re, he's pulling that into his context here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who calls you, be holy also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now we've discussed all that last week. Moving on. If you address as Father, um, if, you, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during this time of your stay, knowing that you are not redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold. From your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers. You know, so many people get to be just like their parents. What a tragedy. We inherit our thinking pattern from our parents. Not necessarily a tragedy. Oh, no, oh, not necessarily, but I've never found an exception yet in 80 years. 82 years, I've never found an exception. Hmm. Never found, no, that doesn't mean it's some things. But, you know, I still have all of my daddy's <clears throat> baggage. I still, I still evaluate everything starting from my daddy's way of looking at things, but I have to stop and correct it. We have to think now that how we are born and what we instill in our children will stay with them all of their lives. But the Word tells us, the Word tells us that we have to get on top of that. That it's not the things that we inherited from our forefathers that have anything to do with our eternal destiny. Folks, we got to get a handle on that. Now, that doesn't mean that we're, you know, we, we have certain patterns that we're going to follow all the way of our life. 
but we have to challenge those patterns. That's my point. We have to challenge all of those patterns. And if people don't follow, don't challenge those patterns, they end up dying thinking the same way mom and dad thought. Same ideals, same ideas, same approaches. So it's tough. That's what we're talking about over here. You have to go through the tribulation in order to, to the tribulations of life to become a God-governed person. Oh, it is so difficult. But we are not, we are not redeemed from the things that perish from secularism, from the things of this world, from the things that we inherited from our fathers, as much of a hold as they have upon us. But he's telling us, folks, you have been redeemed, purchased back to God with the blood. Now, what do we do with all those groups today that are going anti-blood? Where's their salvation? But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That gives us the identity, the blood of Christ. Folks, if that's the basis of your redemption, why don't you talk about it? Everything else is mundane and useless. You can have everything right in this secular political world, but if you don't have a handle on the blood of Christ, you have nothing at all. And I'm not meaning to be mean. I'm trying to be mean enough to show kindness that if you don't shape up, your destiny is no different than all the people you oppose. Folks, we've got to get back to the blood of Christ. And then verse 20, of course, is our theme. Because our question is, something was going on before the beginning. Something was going on before the beginning. Something was going on before the beginning that gave cause for that beginning. And then notice what it says in verse 20, who was, who has, or who was foreordained or foreknown, predestined, if you want to call it that way, before the foundation of the cosmos. Not the Ionos, but the cosmos, the world of order, before the foundation of the world, of the cosmos, was made known before we ever got a handle on it, something had already taken place in the mind of God, and that was what? Verse 20. Verse 21. Yeah. Jesus, he appeared, uh, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world foreknown before the foundation of the world, and then appeared in the last times. And that's probably making a reference to either his first appearance 
or his appearance at the fall of Jerusalem, but that's not our issue here. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, foreknown as Christ, the blood of Christ, because that's the theme about which he's talking. A lot of folks today don't believe that we need to come under the blood of Christ to be saved, particularly in the religious world and the 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 uh, uh, the rest of the world, the secular world, it you know, it doesn't make any difference. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. I'll start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. That word blessed means to speak well of God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has spoken well of us with every spiritual blessing. Everything that can be said good about man has been said by God of us, and we are to speak well, therefore, of him in return. Just as he chose us. Now we're going to talk about that. Just as he chose us, in him, when? Before the foundation, before of, the the foundation of the world. Something was going on before the foundation of the cosmos. Now, see, we deal with foundation. These lessons are so basic, so foundational. God also believes in foundation. And for the church, he had a foundation. It was made up of Hindus and Buddhists. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was whom? The apostles were in the foundation. Then the prophets, they were the foundation. Though the church had a foundation. God always thinks in terms of foundations. Every contractor, every builder thinks in terms of foundation. You have to begin with a foundation. And so... God had a foundation before the world. And that world, that foundation involved Christ, and now it involved the apostles. Because that's the us. See? Notice what it says in verse, he predestined us in verse 5. He predestined us. Who's the us? The apostles. And then uh, we go over... um, I should find my text here. And then go to verse 13, just to cut this thing short. Verse 13. In him you also. Now what have we got? We've got a second person plural. Yeah, so we've got another group. Okay. First person plural, first person plural, and second person plural cannot refer to the same people. Have you got that? That's really clear. First person plural, us, and second person plural are two different groups of people. So now he transfers, and now he includes who? You also, probably the Ephesians. And now the the Ephesians. in Ephesus.
Now, if you go to chapter 3 and verse 5, we'll confirm all of what is said in verses 1 to one through 12, that it refers to the apostles and only to the apostles. And you know that Presbyterianism, Episcopalianism, is all based on the us being referred to as the church in general. But then what happens when you get to verse 12, or verse 13, now you switch to a different group, and if you're in the first group, you can't be a part of the second group. We don't meet the criteria to be in the first group. You, you, we just don't meet the criteria. So the answer to it is first in verse in chapter 3 and verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his whom? And that's what he says in chapters 1, verses 1 to 12, that they were unique. They were predestined. They had a specific purpose and function, and that they had been revealed uh, the things of God so that they, in turn, could bring it to who? To the church in general. So he says in verse 5, revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in spirit, in their spirit, and then he goes on to talk about what that means. So here, here, you, here you have not only that Christ was involved, as a coming sacrifice, the shedding of his blood in First Peter, but now that the apostles were preordained prior to the foundation of the world. By the way, along that way, let's go to Second uh, Peter 1. No, Second uh, Timothy. Second Peter, Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. And verse 9. So we have the same thing here. Remember the us nearly always refers to whom? Us. 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 It never refers to the church. What's that? It typically doesn't refer to the church. It does not refer to the church normally. It always refers to the author of the book. I don't care what your commentary says. The us, first person, always refers to the author of the book and who he is identified with. The second person plural, which is a you, and by the way, you as an individual is never referred to any way, any place in the New Testament unless there is a specific name such as Timothy but it's nearly always in the corporate pronoun. So you is referring to the church corporately, generally. Us is always referring to the author of the book and with whom he identifies himself. And the Ephesians, we saw that he was identifying himself with those to whom God had given all of his revelation, and that was the who? The apostles. Now we've got to keep that in mind because, folks, that clears up almost another 60% of all the problems of Christendom today. You've got to get that clear. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Who has saved us from 
Who's the us? The apostle. And called us with a holy calling. Not according to our work, not according to, because look at where he's going. It couldn't have been. But according to his own purpose and grace, which has granted us in Christ Jesus for how long? From all eternity. Who was saved from all eternity, whatever that word eternity means, from all eternity, who was in this verse saved from the very beginning? The apostles. All right, the apostles were saved. See, Christ was slain. The apostles were saved. Now in verse 14 of if 2 Timothy, guard through the Holy Spirit, through Spirit which dwells among us, who's the us? The apostles. The treasure which has been entrusted to you all. See? Is that plural then? That's plural. We all. Which includes Timothy in this case. What was that? Yeah. That includes Timothy in this case. That includes yes. Timothy in this yeah, case. Exactly. If I'm mistaken, right, is there may not be a pronoun there at all, uh, but it's uh, in the plural form of. Um, That's 14? Of verse 14. Yeah, 14. Entrusted to among us. See the us? Which dwelleth among us. Okay. My, 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 go go back up there again. Uh, it says through, keep through spirit, holy, which dwelleth among us, which is whom? And you know the rest of that isn't in there, is it? No. We were in thirteen and fourteen. Okay. So anyway, you have here. You have again. So far, we have Christ slain from what point? Before the foundation. Before the foundation. We have the apostles appointed, predestined, and saved when? Before. Let's read one more, and then we're going to have to close, folks. So, so this all tells me that God didn't make it up as he was going through it. You know, God was not making this up as he was going oh. through it. Oh, no. He had a good plan. He had a good plan. If we plug into his good plan that was very thoughtful, then we got a, we got a good start on life. That's, that's, we've got to remember that God had a plan from the very beginning. But yeah. If, if we, and that's one we, we've got to emphasize. Something was going on before the beginning around which God had a plan, and he carries the plan out all the way through to this day, yeah. Yeah. to this day, look at Hebrews 9, verse 23. And I want to reinforce the apostles again, and then, folks, we're going to have to, um, our time is up. Boy, Sharon, this would be an easy one for you today. <laughs> well, maybe it won't be. Um, we're still on number one of our notes. Something was going on before the beginning. Folks, 
when we understand why we discuss the goodness of God, it's because the goodness represents that God has a purpose in all that he does, and it's representative of his nature. And his nature, in his goodness, had Christ slain, which tells us there was a part of the plan that we met we don't know yet, and that the apostles were going to be a part of it, and that they were preordained to be a part of revealing that message of the sacrifice of Christ. Now, in Romans 9.23, and he did so to make known the riches, uh, I don't know where to start here, but let's just keep going. Uh, to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared, vessels of mercy. Vessels are instruments, carriers of mercy. Now, when were they prepared? So, folks, we have Christ slain, we have the apostles saved before the foundation of the world, and now beforehand, what else had God done, as Tanya was just suggesting, and I plugged this verse in to accommodate what she just said, that there are, there are vessels of mercy that he prepared, prep, prepared, prepared beforehand. What verse is that? That's verse 23. Romans. Romans. Well, Romans 8, 23. Yeah. What, what did I say? You said Hebrews. Oh, I and said we Hebrews. Were all in Hebrews. Oh, my, 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 my. No wonder you didn't get it. Yeah. All right. I was about to say you were really a dumb klutz. Yeah. <laughs> now we know who really is. Now we know who really is. Yeah. So in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 23, so he did, he did so to make known, you know, he's talking about, there are vessels of wrath, there are vessels of mercy. Here he's talking about that he made known the riches. He, he did all of this previous, previous to what's going on. He has done that to make known the riches of his glory through vessels of mercy. And what does mercy mean? Well, it means to make useful. To make useful, which I like better vessels than Vessels of use, uh, you, uh, to, to make use of, to make Things to give somebody mercy is to make whatever they're doing useful. That's what how Peter defines it in First Peter. You have you were not useful, and now because of the of the things of God, you have been made merciful, or you have been shown mercy. You have been, and he talks about the word use, the the usefulness of. Uh, what the gospel does makes every human being useful. Now, I may not always agree with everything, but the basic essence is that we look upon one another, uh, but here he's talking about he has a tool, a package, a, a, so that God does not infringe on us. He has a container, vessels is neuter, of mercy, and he prepared this container, this conveyor of mercy. When? Beforehand. So that tells us, folks, that there was a plan, a purpose. Working the plan. Working the plan. Always working the plan. 
That's what we teach our children from the day they're old enough to hear. We have a plan. We work the plan. We stay to the plan. We develop, refine the plan. God, when he does it, doesn't have to refine it. It's all set on his mind. And believe, believe me when I say this, that God doesn't, doesn't begin anything until in his mind is already done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that these few cherished moments, we can cover just a little bit of your word, but oh, the hope and the joy there is found in it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.